Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome, history friends, patrons all, to an episode announcing that Matchlock on the Embassy is now available in all the usual book stores. Whether online or offline, you should be able to get it. This, of course, is really exciting, but in case you missed the memo, what is Matchlock and the Embassy? It is a historical fiction series set during the Thirty Years' War. You follow Matthew Locke, who lands in Europe in 1622 to try and find out what the story is because his parents have been murdered. Along the way, he bumps into a pretty terrifying conspiracy involving men wearing black masks, and to get to the bottom of it, he has to team up with some, well, let's just say not very savoury people, but at least they have a lot of character. This is my first foray into historical fiction, or writing fiction generally, and I think it went very well, all in all. I received some great feedback from those of you who downloaded an advanced reader copy of the book, and thank you, by the way, for doing that and for giving any comments and last-minute edits that you sent to me. I really appreciated those there's something about having loads of different eyes on the product that is both really unsettling but also reassuring because it means that we'll catch any last minute errors and it also means that I get a great pool of opinion just before it launches to the wider world. And sure enough, nearly 200 people downloaded the advanced reader copy, which is really cool. Now, whether or not everyone who downloaded actually read that copy and whether or not everyone who read it will actually leave a review, this is all, of course, another issue but it is still great to see so many people accessing it either way. In the last few days since we've released, the book has been selling pretty consistently, although mostly just in ebook form, because I suppose people aren't willing to murder a load of defenseless trees, or maybe they just don't want to pay for the postage, or whatever it is. People tend to read more fiction in electric format than they do non-fiction. That just seems to be the way the trends are going these days. So uh, it's not that unexpected, but it is still really cool to see that even though I didn't really promote the fact that it was launching, I mean, I announced it in the group, but sometimes, despite the fact that there's like over a thousand people in the When Diplomacy Fails group now, we don't always get, let's say we never get a thousand reactions. So you know how these things work. That's why I thought it would be a much better idea to announce it here, that it's officially available and you can get your hands on it right now. And some have already chosen to get their hands on it, as I said, 
and we have a really cool review that has been left. And I'm going to read this review now because if you're on the fence about whether you're going to enjoy this book or not, or maybe you've had enough 30 years war content, generally all of this is fair. But just listen to what this guy had to say for himself when he went and got this book. So this review is left by Daniel Runyon from the United States. And he says that Matchlock is a rare glimpse into a fascinating time and place. Matchlock and the Embassy, this is his review now, places the reader into the dangerous, thrilling and ever-changing landscape of Central Europe during the early years of what would become known as the Thirty Years' War. The main protagonist, Matthew Locke, is well-built, being both sufficiently courageous to drop us right in the action, while sufficiently vulnerable and human to allow the reader to feel the world around him in a believable way. Locke's personal mission is intertwined with the broader conflict around him in a way that keeps the reader well-connected to both setting and character. The supporting cast so far is actually quite small and easy to keep track of, an uncommon mercy in a historical fiction piece. Zack also does an admirable and mostly successful job of restraining his desire to gush historical context at the reader. Me gushing historical context? No way. Something many writers of the genre struggle with, while providing us sufficient context to make sense of Matthew Locke's world, where there are literally thousands of historical and historical fiction books on the wars of the 18th and 19th centuries, Matchlock and the Embassy is one of the few works of historical fiction that introduces the reader into the 17th century's most pivotal conflict in a way that is accessible to all readers, while weaving in more than enough history to keep a graduate history student, like myself, thoroughly entertained. I look forward to further instalments of what looks to be a promising series. Thank you so much, Daniel Runyon, for that review. I really, really appreciate it. And I should say again, reviews are really the lifeblood of independently published books, or any books generally, really, because you need that social proof. It's why I used to bang on about leaving reviews on iTunes and that kind of thing, or Apple Podcasts or whatever it calls itself these days. Because when people are like, should I listen to this podcast? And then they see a load of reviews, they're much more likely to listen to it. But when it comes to actually buying something, because podcasts are free, so you're only really wasting your time, but if you're worried you might waste your money, reviews are even more important. And statistically, something like 90% of Amazon users, just keeping it in the Amazon example for now, something like 90% of Amazon users look at the reviews before they make any kind of purchase. And I'm sure you're probably one of those. I know I am. I don't want to waste or risk my money on something that might be crap. Right now you can get the ebook and the paperback. I have plans in the future to release a hardback and because so many have been asking me about the audiobook, I should set out the plans for that now. Essentially, once we have enough sales to justify the audiobook, then I will invest the money into making it. It's pretty much definite that I won't be reading it myself purely because I really can't balance all the different accents and voices that go into narrating a fiction story. But you have my word, as a sailor, I will be absolutely narrating my own non-fiction audiobooks when I do get on to releasing more non-fiction, just historical books in the future. I definitely plan on narrating them myself. But of course, if you don't want to spend the money that's grand, you may prefer to get it from your library, which you can absolutely do. Just go to your library and basically request a copy, and I will still get paid for that. 
On the other hand, if you would like to support your local business, do the exact same thing when you go into your local bookstore. If you don't see it on the shelf, then ask for it to be brought in. And again, I still get paid. So it's all good. I understand not wanting to support Amazon, that kind of thing. But Amazon and Goodreads, because Amazon owns Goodreads, Amazon and Goodreads are pretty much what people think of when they think of books and buying online, because generally that is where people tend to get their books from. And then, of course, Amazon went and invented Kindle. So, yeah, there's that. I should say, if you're listening to this right now and you're a patron of this podcast, you can download this book right onto your device without having to pay for it because it comes as part of your perks. Which, yeah, that's really cool and it's something I felt very strongly about. I've already released a Patreon post just before this one where I provide the link where you can do that. And if you'd like to get this book and all future Matchlock books, in ebook format at least, make sure you sign up on Patreon by clicking on the link in the description below. You know the drill by now, guys. No real surprises here. In terms of my plans for Matchlock in the future, I intend to have the sequel out before the end of this year, ideally in time for Christmas or Black Friday or whatever other commercial holidays that have been invented lately. But either way, you won't be left hanging if you want to know what happens next in the story. And I understand many of you might want to wait until the sequel comes out before digesting a brand new story, but the book itself is fairly long. It's more than 500 pages, so it will keep you occupied, even if you want to just dip in and out of it every now and then. But I have been told it's quite gripping and hard to put down. Now, my dad told me that, and so did my wife, but I'm sure they're not biased sources. What I'm going to do next is read the prologue for two reasons. First of all, you may have missed the first time I read it, but second of all, it's also been slightly adjusted and altered since the last time we read it, which was, in fairness, over a month ago, so I think it's fair to do it again now. This will introduce you to the story, it'll introduce you to Matthew Locke's backstory and explain a large part of the reason why he is the way he is, And it'll also, well, just give you a feel for my writing style in general. I hope you enjoy it. The episode is essentially going to end after this, so if you're not interested in anything else, you don't have to stick around. But, again, I would like to say a huge thanks to all of you who have supported me in this new venture, and to the rest of you, if you're still listening right now, then thank you so much for your patience, as I also spend a lot of time and breath getting into historical fiction. I am personally really excited about this. I feel so strongly that historical fiction is a really great way to introduce people to the Thirty Years' War era. I mean, it was said in that review itself. It's an accessible way to learn about the Thirty Years' War. And if you've ever come across what I like to call the Sharp Effect, where you read, for example... Richard Sharp's experiences in the Napoleonic Wars, and then thought to yourself, hey, I'd like to know more about this Napoleon guy and the era he lived in. That's what I want to do with Matchlock and the Embassy. I want to be the window, I want to be the gateway drug, if you like, into the Thirty Years' War, because I genuinely, sincerely believe, and I haven't stopped going on about it, the Thirty Years' War is so underrepresented and so underrated when it comes to exciting historical stories. And it's underrepresented, I think, because the 20th century kind of dominates everything, but hopefully this will go some way towards changing that impression. Before the 20th century happened, there was an awful lot to be fascinated by in history, 
And I think Matchlock is going to testify to that. I have, of course, got great plans for Matchlock going forward, as you certainly know. Matchlockbooks.com is where you can go to buy the book directly from me, just as a reminder. But there's pros and cons for buying it through Amazon or anywhere else. By buying it through the usual online stores, you'll improve the rank of this book, and you'll make it more likely that it will appear before other people who will be interested in it. So I might get all the money if you buy it directly, but I don't get all of the praise and the press and the social proof that comes along with being a bestseller on one of the major stores. So make your decision carefully, but either way, please do leave a review if you enjoy Matchlock and the Embassy. Leaving a review is by far and away the best way to encourage the growth of this series. And I know I'm probably going to be blue in the face and you're going to be blue in the ears from hearing it, but it really is so important. Okay, I'll stop beating a dead horse now and I'll just read the prologue. Prologue, 11th of March, 1613. 10 kilometers south of Louvarden, Frisia, United Provinces. The musket was ready to fire but the boy could not pull the trigger. Even worse, the enemy knew it. They saw him flinching, hesitating. They sensed his weakness. They saw his soft frame, his flushed face. Perhaps they also saw his trembling arms. They could not know the war underway in the pit of his stomach, but there was more than enough evidence to suggest that they were not in any danger. But the boy was in danger. That much was plain. He had heard the commotion when the party of men had broken into his home. He had crept gingerly down the creaky stairs. He had grabbed father's musket. He had stood in the doorway and attempted to plan his rescue. Then he had been spotted and ordered into the dining room. Judging by their attire from their black clothes to the fearsome black masks, these men had seen and endured many sights worse than that of a boy clinging to a loaded musket. The boy remembered father's safety measures. He remembered that the musket had been preloaded and pre-prepared in case of an emergency. The circumstances certainly qualified as an emergency. Father had never permitted the boy to fire a musket, but the boy had seen one fired. The trigger merely needed to be pulled. How hard could it be? Yet the boy could not pull the trigger. Not even the urgent glances from mother or his brothers could egg him on. He could not pull it, and his bluff would only be tolerated for so long. His hand was frozen. His whole body was ice. He was fixated on the masked men who had entered his home. All six men were now focused on him. They had hesitated at first. After all, he was only a boy, armed with a volatile weapon. But that hesitation had passed. Now they were creeping gradually towards him. Time was running out. One masked man stood by his brother, James. Such a stellar young man. Mother's favourite without a doubt. But now James was a hostage. His face, normally full of colour, was drained and sweating. There was no explanation. No reasons given for shattering the joy of this family holiday. Instead, there were just six masked men. The standoff was interrupted with a stark raising of the stakes. The masked man next to James unsheathed his sword with a swift, shimmering movement. Although the darkness of the evening had arrived, the light from the room's spluttering candles caused the blade to glisten. The steel was then pointed at James's throat. Put it down, boy the masked man hissed. Put it down or I open his neck. But he couldn't. The boy couldn't move. He was stuck fast. His arms ached from the weight of the firearm. His legs ached from tensing in one place. His breathing came in fits. 
Sweat ran down his neck. A thin wisp of smoke rose above the lit piece of match cord, which confirmed that the musket was as ready as it would ever be. But the confirmation was irrelevant. The act of firing the weapon was impossible. And where to retreat? It was safer to stand still, or close his eyes, and pretend it was all a horrendous nightmare. Look at me, boy, the man barked. Put it down. I won't ask you again. The boy stared at him. The black mask covered his whole face, leaving only the whites of his eyes and the curve of his mouth actually visible. That was enough to paint a vivid picture. A picture of evil. The boy tried to speak. There was no air in his throat. Then there were two hands on him. One on his right shoulder, the other on his forearm. It was another masked man. This one was gentler, still a villain by virtue of his actions, but somehow less fierce and less malicious like he was simply doing a job. The musket was lowered slowly into the masked man's hands, and the cord was extinguished. The boy heaved a sigh of relief. His hands were empty. He was defenceless. He had done as the masked man had demanded. But the sword was not lowered. Instead, the masked man let out a sickening chuckle, and with a flick of his wrist, arced the blade upwards through James's throat. In the time it took the boy to gasp, Blood was flicked from his brother's throat and onto the carpet. A horrific gurgling sound escaped from James's throat and the murderer pushed his victim roughly to the floor. Mother screamed and broke free of the two men holding her and her youngest son. She ran to James's side, sobbing, wailing. She cradled his head. The boy had only seen death once before when grandmother had died in her bed. James's eyes now looked the same as hers once did. Glassy, vacant, empty. The masked men seemed conflicted. The one who had taken the boy's musket shouted at the other who had taken James's life. One looked out the window. Other masked men stood on the edges of their feet, unsure how to react. And then the killer locked eyes with the boy. For whatever reason, the boy held his gaze. Did the killer see this as a challenge? The boy felt no anger. He had not even cried out at the atrocity. He was numb. The killer made for the boy with frightening speed. He pushed past the objections of his masked peers. With a final step, he struck the boy with the middle of his right fist. The world seemed to stop. The boy's vision blurred, but he knew he was on the ground. The carpet cushioned most of his fall, but the back of his head cracked against a stone tile. Was his nose broken? His eyes watered. But it was not over. The mask was on top of him, bearing down on him, striking him, again and again. What could be done? Nothing. There was no pain. Perhaps James had felt no pain either. The boy gasped. The limp hands he held up were swatted away. Resisting was useless. The killer hissed and spat at him as he struck, over and over again. And then the assault ended. Was it all over? Was he to join with James and Grandmother? He tasted blood. Was there blood in heaven? No. He was still here. Curses bounced off the walls and into the boy's ears. The boy could hardly move his body, but he could move his head. He angled it towards the commotion. The masks were arguing among themselves. But why? Had they not wanted James to die? But James was dead. Mother still cradled her favourite son's head. She begged him to get up. She cursed the man responsible, but did not look up from his victim. James's open throat had spilled his entire life onto his chest. 
It had once been a full life, but now James's face was ashen and drained of everything. The youngest son stood to the side, shivering. He had soiled himself. Candles flickered as men rushed around the room to interrupt a standoff. They traipsed mud all over the carpet. Mother would normally have dragged such offenders out by their ears. She would have forced them to scrub the carpet clean, but now she just sobbed quietly onto James's chest. A creeping darkness stalked the room as several flames were extinguished. The youngest son whimpered and called out in vain to his distraught mother. The boy watched the nightmare unfold, silent and still. There were shouts in the distance, and then the masked men began to run. The one who had handled the boy's musket paused for a brief moment. His head seemed to dance between the different sights. It locked onto James and then back to the boy. The boy squinted at him and momentarily held his gaze. The boy wanted to call out to this gentler masked man. He had so many questions. Too many. It was overwhelming for a mere boy. The boy's neck gave out. He rested his head on the hard tile. A familiar voice loomed into his ears. Father. Father had come back. He had gone for a walk. He and mother had been fighting again. The boy had not been meant to hear it, but he had. A door was forced open. Father demanded to see the masked men, but they had all gone. The boy did not see father until he was over his face. Father's rough hands were placed gently on the boy's face. Words were poured onto him, first concerned, then angry. Like mumbled blurs of words, the boy could not respond, just like he could not fire the musket. The boy's eyelids fluttered. Perhaps when he woke everything would be better. Perhaps he would dream of a better time. Of a time without men in black masks, or of a time when he had been able to pull the trigger. A haunting wail filled his ears. Mother's despair had been unleashed for the whole province of Frisia to hear. The only escape from the nightmare was sleep. Merciful sleep. And then there was darkness. The flickering candles were gone. All was silent. But Matthew Locke knew that he had failed. Alright, history friends, you've heard the prologue, you've heard the announcement, and you've heard me read out a review. I hope you are ready for Matchlock and the Embassy, and if you are, you know where to go. Click on the link in the description below to grab your copy. Thanks so much for the support, and I'll be seeing you all soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.